Welcome to the Hail to the District podcast with your host, Rajan Nanavati. Welcome to the Hail to the District podcast. And you know, I got to say that after something of a sabbatical for this podcast, upwards of almost a year, so apologies about that, it feels really, really damn good to be back. So anyway, I'm Rajan and I'm delighted to be joined by Hail to the District's own Patrick Rice to preview the two upcoming 2019 season for the Washington Redskins. Um, Patrick, how are you? How's the move out to the left coast been? How's things treating you? How are things treating you so far? Oh, no complaints, man. Been here about a week and a half. Um, And not only am I excited to start this podcast again, it gives me a reason to talk about Redskins because there are a lot of insufferable Seahawks fans uh, around me. Uh, So happy happy to dive back into some Redskins and and, uh, start this back up. You know, I feel like the 12th man concept with Seahawks, with the Seattle Seahawks, that should have like a little disclaimer that says like established in 2011 because I'm thoroughly convinced that there was no such thing as a Seahawks fan prior to Pete Carroll coming there. Like, I think Seahawks fans were basically a mythical creature that existed only in remote pockets. But then all of a sudden they got this whole 12th man thing because, uh, you know, what's, uh, what's a good team without a bandwagon? Yeah, I mean, it goes back to when people jumped on the Skins bandwagon for uh... – and Kornheiser said it back in the nineties, the it's got to start somewhere, but it is, uh, it's everywhere. I mean, you walk around the city and, uh, no one actually has a Seahawks flag. All the flags just say 12 on them. Um, so it's, it's something they're very proud of and something they definitely, um, let's put it this way. They, they let you know their stadium is loud and they're proud. Um, uh, but established 2011, um, uh, not a lot of history outside of that. And, and it's a, if any Richmond people are listening to this, it's very annoying that you all are now, Seahawks fans, don't forget the Skins are your your home team. Don't don't jump ship just because of Russell. <laughs> <laughs> Good, fair point. All right, so laying down here the format for our season preview, um, we're splitting this preview up into two episodes. To be honest, um, part one, which is this episode, obviously, is going to focus on the defense primarily, and part two, which we're going to drop in the next few days, is going to focus on the offense because that's the sexy one, and everyone wants to talk about that. But I think the D. De- Defense has a lot more to talk about, irrespective of all the new additions and all the fancy new toys on the offensive side. So with all that in mind, I actually wanted to start on one of the two areas of defense where I think there are major, major question marks. Um, Area number one being inside linebacker. And I think the question needs to be asked about how worried should we be about the inside linebacker spot? Uh, In my opinion, this is a story that's not being talked about enough. There are literally four guys on the roster. There are Sean Dion Hamilton, Josh Harvey Clemens, John Bostic, who showed up 15 minutes ago, and Cole Holcomb, who I think is a fifth-round draft pick. Um, in my opinion, it's not a stretch to say, and I'm not trying to be a hater of the team I love as much as anything else, that we could have the worst group of inside linebackers in the NFC, frankly speaking, if not the league. And I know that's a hot take right out of the gates. Now, again, I'm not trying to hate on my own team, but like, I, I, convince me otherwise. Yeah, no, bring the hot takes. That's why we're here. Um... <clears throat> You know, I, I think the the team put a lot of eggs in the Ruben Foster basket, right? I mean, I forget if it was a second or third play. He had just been announced that he was going to play this year. There was no suspension, and, you know, down it goes with his ACL, um, which is kind of a, a microcosm of, of Jay Gruden's tenure and probably the reason Trent's still holding out, but we can get to that later. It really um, is. <laughs> um, you know, I, I'm not as down on the middle – you know, inside linebackers like you are, I will say, I, like, I don't really think I can convince you that it's probably the worst unit in the NC East. It probably is. Um, but, like, at the same time, I actually don't think it's any worse than it was a year ago. Uh, Zach Brown got benched. He had a lot of speed, but he didn't care. 
uh, Mason Foster couldn't guard you or me out of the backfield, um, let alone an NFL running back. Um, and, you know, I've listened to a couple of Bostick's, um, John Bostick's interviews with on Grand Danny. I've, I've read some of the things that the coaches have said about him. And, you know, it's it's a lot of the same things they say about Mason Foster. Great great leader, came in, took the reins right away. A lot of things you want to hear at this time of year. The difference is he's just, you know, a lot more athletic. Um, which is which is a positive, and you know he's he started for the for the Steelers. Uh, anyone that can start a linebacker in the Steelers, I'm okay with, at least if it's a stopgap. Um, we just talked about Sean Deion Hamilton being a little banged up. I am, you know, he's got that those Bama roots. I'm excited to see him. But of all of them, I am most excited about Cole Holcomb. Um, I, this guy could turn out to be the second coming of Reed Dowdy and just this terrible guy on the field all the time. Um, you know, who knows? Even though Reed was a safety, but. The idea that we have a linebacker with like straight sideline to sideline speed um, is is a rarity, and you know it's it's little things like Gruden coming out and saying that he's going to get more run, and now he's getting you know first team reps, and that's a little scary because he's a fifth round um, draft pick. He's also a college walk on at UNC, uh, but you know if you watch tape of this guy, <laughs> acting like I watch tape of him all the time, right? He moves, he moves, he moves quickly. He had over 100 tackles every year he was at Carolina. Um, and I, I'm actually kind of low-key excited for him because our middle linebackers just didn't get it done. And, you know, they might not be great now, but at least they, they have the opportunity to be better because there's not a whole lot of movement needed to make this unit better than it was a year ago. Yeah, Jay Gruden, um, Jay Gruden loves him some Cole Holcomb. It's actually fun to see. I think, I think it was Holcomb who, like, Gruden was driving the bandwagon in the draft room saying, go draft this guy. And the draft, were, the draft world, going back to your, you know, watching the tape uh, – uh, euphemism um, you know they were like ah, he's a late round pick and he's undersized and stuff like that but I'm with you uh, I think he although I'm a with my wife being Alabama alumna and although I, I try to taper my expectations of all of those guys appropriately um, Sean Dion Hamilton I think is very very intriguing he's very similar to what kind of you were alluding to with John Bostick a little bit although with much more athleticism and I think he's much more he has more dimensions than just being a one like a run focused guy exclusively but Holcomb definitely has at least if you read all the tea leaves and you start to drink the Kool-Aid being that sideline to sideline threat as you mentioned a really athletic guy who again everyone's been talking up and has been is is has the makings again we're two weeks or three weeks in the training camp of being a diamond to the rough type of player yeah i mean i i'm excited for him you know i look the bottom line is is we start if we rolled out mason foster again this year every single team's just going to scheme against them and torch us right all you got to do week one eagles um or whoever we play we've got i think it's the eagles, it's the eagles. um you Bar know yeah game. they're gonna put yeah they're gonna put sproles out there run a quick you know out route and Mason's just going to get torched um, or, or, you know, or we'll put Kerrigan on him, which will be even better. Um, we need speed. Um, and, you know, the team, the, the team put a lot of eggs in the Ruben Foster basket. We got screwed and this is what we're left with. And I'm still more excited about it just because I don't have to watch Mason Foster anymore. Um, yeah. Great guy. It's all seemingly, but, but I'm, I'm ready to move on from that dude. The Reuben Foster situation was just a mess to start off with. Um, I mean, you know, we all know all, all the reports of all the off the stuff, off the field stuff. I don't want to get into that. It, it is what it is. Whether or not the woman he was with was crazy and short answers or, uh, you know, a hint she was. But that obviously doesn't absolve him for some of the stuff that he's, that, that he's alleged to have done. Um, you know, we signed Reuben Foster. There's a reason that San Francisco got rid of him, i.e. a lot of the off the field stuff. Um, you know, he, irrespective of that, he had injuries. 
Um, he was kind of an inconsistent guy in general. Like if you read the between the lines when he was coming out and I think the 17 draft, Nick Saban was saying that, you know, Foster had all the talent in the, her, in the world. But again, if you read the subtext, basically Saban said he's the biggest knucklehead you can possibly think of. And, you know, we were gambling, to your point about the Bama roots, we were gambling big time that having that Bama subculture, Bama sub-team or, or group of talent or whatever here would kind of help keep them on the straight and narrow or kind of, you know, give them some familiarity. I love how, I don't know whether it was Bruce Allen throwing another person out to, you know, uh, under the bus or whatever, when Doug Williams is like, oh, yeah, we consulted with our leadership team and uh, all the Alabama guys. And they're like, no, we didn't. We didn't hear anything from you, Doug, about this. So. That was great. But I think the entire concept of, you know, we were going to make Ruben Foster this bedrock on which the rest of our inside linebacker group would be built upon was just, it was a house of cards idea. And now it's gone, or now he's gone rather. And, you know, again, I, I think Sean DeYoung Hamilton, there's a lot of, di uh, another underrated potential piece there. Um, he was really good at Alabama. Then he messed up his knee and that's why he slid so far in the draft. Um, I don't know who's going to play next to him. I guess it's going to be Bostic just by process of elimination being Mason Foster 2.0. Um, you know, they cut Zach Brown to your point in the, in the off season. Uh, you know, he started getting cranky. He did started doing Zach Brown things, which were his calling card previously that he could run sideline to sideline with literally anyone in the league, but where he was going, even he didn't know it many of those times. Um, but the question I keep coming back to is that, all right, Zach Brown, yeah, he was a, another knucklehead. He could read, react, read, react, and blow shit up. If we can get somebody who can do 75% of that, then I think we're okay. And I think my question is, do we have that guy? Is it Holcomb? Or are we putting too much on a fifth-round pick right off the bat? Or you know, is it going to be any of the other guys? I'm just skeptical, and I'm worried because if you go back and look at the top-running defenses from last year – you know, this shouldn't come as any surprise, but six of the eight teams who were in the top of the rushing defense DVOA, according to Football Outsiders, they all had Pro Bowl players or Pro Bowl level players at inside linebacker. And I'm not ready to declare any of those guys anywhere near that type of relegation, even though the Pro Bowl is, a, is you know, apropos of nothing. Yeah, you know, I think from a Kool-Aid perspective, it's never sweeter than right now. So what I'm about to say in about four weeks, probably not going to be real. But I don't think they need to be. Um, you know, I will get into this, I think, um, towards the tail end of this podcast. But, like, these guys are going to have the ability to roam um, yeah. simply based on the fact that you have Allen, you have Payne, you have, you know, Ioannidis. And, like, the last time Gruden stepped on the table for a defensive player, it turned out to be Ioannidis. Maybe the same thing turns out for Holcomb. Who knows? Um, so, you know, I'm not as worried about it. They, I mean, they are, in my opinion, by far the worst unit on our team. Uh, and if we put them up against any other team, they might be the worst in the NFL. You know, they're, they're bad. Um, at least unproven is probably a better word to describe them. Um, sure. But if Boston can get them lined up, there's a little more team speed there, which is, which is great. These guys are also young for the most part, except for Boston, who's been in the league for a little while now. You know, to me, they just need to figure out um, a way to – to hit the holes hard and to, to, to your point, blow shit up. But I like, if that D line can stay healthy and it's a big if, but if they can stay healthy and, and control line of scrimmage like they did most of last year, and I'm probably going to be even better this year, then I think we'll be okay. Um, especially because the outside linebackers are very good. Um, Kerrigan, you know, I don't know what's going to happen with him. I hope he makes the hall of fame one day. I don't think he will, but I like, he's going to be in the talks at least. And then you have, um, you know, sweat on the other side. So I think as long as the middle linebackers can, can, 
kind of figured out and, and you just be in the right spot at the right time, we'll be okay. Now, speaking of another unproven group here, um, I'm more concerned. Let's put it this way. Two weeks ago, I was more concerned about the quarterback position than I was middle, middle inside linebacker. Um, but after watching some of the, some of the preseason game, after reading some of it, I'm actually slowly becoming a little more excited about um, the cornerback depth, but it's unproven. Um, so outside of Norman, you have, you know, who knows what's going to happen with Dunny? Who knows what's going to happen with uh, Moreau, who sounds like he's a roster lock. I think Roger Scamani is a roster lock. My guy, Jimmy Moreland, is going to be a roster lock. Um, you know, what are your thoughts on, on the corners? Because to me, they are, I would call them the most intriguing, if not unproven part of the team. Yeah, I'm very similar to what your sentiment was. If you asked me four weeks ago, I would say this is a 1A or 1, or excuse me, 1B or 1C or whatever you want to call it, because I have one other position where I'm terrified about, maybe even more than inside linebacker, um, which we're going to cover in a minute. Um, but I am actually very much kind of cautiously optimistic, if not excited in the same way you are. Um, Josh Norman for all intents and purposes, is playing his last year in D.C. Um, he counts $14.3 million against the cap this year. A lot of people were surprised he didn't get released this past offseason. Um, I think they were just worried about the depth and the, and the youth and had not having a recruiting guy. But, you know, they're going to save almost $13 million if they release him after this year. So for all intents and purposes, again, he's gone. Um, but let's just say for the, what the group we have right now, you mentioned you got Norman Dunbar at number two, Fabian Moreau at number three. I'm going to get to Moreau in a second. Jimmy Moreland. Jimmy Moreland, I think it's NBC Sports. They've already started calling him the People's Cornerback, which, you know, if you're ever going to have a nickname after The Rock, I'm, I'm all about that. Um, and then, you know, and, and Stroman and DRC, and we'll get to DRC in a second as well. It's not a bad group. It's not a great group. I'm not saying, you know, that this is the Legion of Boom, talking about the, going back to the Seattle thing, but this is not a bad group. Um, so Dunbar, you know, he was kind of the talk of last year's training camp. He only played six games last year. I think he had some foot issues or something like that. Um, he has like a nerve injury in his leg or something that sent him to IR. Um, he's trying to knock a lot of rust off by his own account right now. But the coaches and the team obviously saw enough talent to where they're like, look, this guy's got an upside. And we're, again, not expecting him to be the number one, quote unquote, guy per se, but the number two. And I think, could he grow into a number one? At least from the people who are there who know more about football than we do, it seems like it. Um, Moreau... I've been very intrigued by Moreau since the day McLuhan drafted him back in 2016, I think it was, um, 16 or 17, I can't remember which one it was, uh, six foot, 210 pounds, all the physical tools you could ask for. He was going to be a first round pick in that draft, but he tore his pec at his pro day and he dropped to the third round as a result of that. And a lot of people at that time said he was a steal. He had, again, all the physical attributes he wanted. He just kind of had to ha develop the quote unquote polish for him. And um, one interesting stat that a lot of people have cited, according to Pro Football Focus, he gave up the third fewest receptions on a per snap basis of any slot cornerback in the NFL last year. So we're all like, well, it's not cornerback position. What is it? Whatever. You know, Moreau actually played really, really well. And I think as he gets better, he's been one of the standouts in Richmond so far, according to a lot of uh, people. He's been blanketing guys. And like the quarterbacks have been saying, when they're throwing to a guy Moreau's covering, they got to make sure the ball is right on the money. Otherwise, he's going to break it up. Um, I, I'm, I'm really excited about what he could do because one of my big soapbox topics of, uh, for in terms of defense is, you know, while everyone talks about your quote unquote number one corner, I think the slot corner has quickly become because everybody plays in a nickel defense, 
the, just as important as your number one cornerback. So to have a guy like Moreau, and that's why I was so pissed when we traded Kendall Fuller, not because Kendall Fuller is Kendall Fuller. He went to Virginia Tech. Obviously, I'm biased there. But um, it was the fact that you're trading away a very promising slot corner. And the fact that we have somebody to kind of take over that role, so to speak, uh, leaves me with a lot of enthusiasm. Yeah, and it's, it's funny you mentioned the slot corner piece. One, Kendall Fuller two years ago was probably the best slot corner in the league. He had, what, like five interceptions um, and basically ended up being traded straight up for Alex Smith. Um, it, it shows you the, the value that teams will have for that corner position or the slot position, excuse me. And something I find very interesting with Moreau is, so <clears throat> Dunbar didn't practice the other day, um, and everyone just assumed that Moreau would move to the outside and Moreland um, or like Danny Johnson or Stroman or someone along those lines would move into the slot. They actually kept Moreau in the slot and put uh, Moreland on the outside. So Moreland actually jumped everyone, went to the second cornerback, and they left Moreau at the slot. Uh, I think I think the defense, um, you know, with Minuski and um, I forget the name of the new uh, DB's coach. I want to say Horton, but I could be wrong. Yeah, yeah. Um, they trust him there. And I think he's kind of, you know, anchored that, that position, kind of taken that position and made it his own, um, which, is, which is great because, you know, I know you mentioned this is probably Norman's last year. It, it is his last year. But, like, I can't hate the guy. He plays with an attitude. He, he plays hard. Um, and he's been pretty good. I mean, has he, has, has he been as good as, you know, his contract? No. But, yeah, like, I think the, the he hasn't been that bad. From the moment we – the moment he signed it, we all knew he was overpaid. I think we all recognized – deep down, we all knew we were signing a little bit of a one-year wonder or one-hit wonder, if you will, from just having it from one year of really being an elite cornerback. I don't think anybody was going to say that he's Patrick Peterson, Richard Sherman, Darrell Revis, and their prime types of guys. I think anybody who was saying that would have been – talking out of their other orifice. Um, I agree with you. I think Norman, the 14 plus million salary cap number is going to, you know, make a lot of people gag, but you know, that's just the cost of free agency. That's, it is what it is. And uh, I, I think for what he is, and I agree with you as well, that I love the attitude that he brings generally speaking. Um, he was a little cantankerous in the locker room last year at times, but that's neither here nor there. Um, that's to be expected. But like I said, by and large, I do like what he's brought to the team from an attitude perspective from a quote unquote, don't fuck with me perspective i enjoy all of that and you know i'm not there are certain other guys on the team where i can't wait to say goodbye to them and i'm going to go ahead and say he's been here for 10 minutes like eric flowers parties at my house when they release him because <laughs> god that guy sucks i mean he sucked in new york and he sucks twice as hard here um so good riddance and uh, i don't feel that way about norman not even close so yeah i agree with you on that part yeah, I think I think that attitude is 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 critical. You know, I think some one of the reasons I think people get so frustrated with with the signing, in my opinion, is that I go back to that first game he played with us, the Steelers on Monday night, and he didn't shadow Antonio Brown, and you know we left him on one side, which is you know how the scheme he was successful in in Carolina, so we just left him. That. But you pay a guy that money, you expect him to follow the team's best receiver. And it wasn't until like two or three weeks later when he started following Dez that you know we kind of took the reins off him a little bit. So I think he gets a little bad rap there. I love him. Um, you know, I, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna miss the money we're paying him, but like I will miss him when he leaves. And to your point about Dunbar, I mean, this is a undrafted kid who was a wide receiver at Florida who's so athletic. He's now a starting cornerback in the league. And you know, I don't know if you remember, but there was a times last year before he got hurt, before he had that like bizarre nerve injury, yeah. um, where a lot of people were saying he was our best corner on our team. Yep. Um, and that he should be the number one corner. So, you know, 
I don't know if we have a number one corner right now. I think him and Norman are kind of 1A, 1B, um, which I think is a, is a great thing. And then, then you have the depth, um, it, pretty good depth uh, with Rogers Kermati, with, you know, Morel has the slot, you have Moreland. Um, I don't think Danny Johnson or Stroman will make the team. Um, but, you know, I'm, I think the, the depth is there and, and the top-tier talent is also there. Um, which is good because I don't think the safety position is going to be all that great. <laughs> yeah, I, I got plenty to say about that last part. Um, so I think so. We'll, we'll touch on Moreland because the people's cornerback right now. Um, so yeah, if you if you put Moreland, like let's say Moreland went to any other D one school, uh, off the top of my head, if he went to the University of Utah or something like that, I think he would have been a day two pick. Oh, that's right. You know, like just some random any other D1 school, he would have been that. I think the only knocks on him is that he's 5'10", 180 pounds, and he played D2 ball at James Madison. And anybody who grew up in the DSC, DMV area knows that James Madison's not exactly a pushover school. Um, so I, I think those are the only things that were bad that you could say about him. But I love at least what he's shown so far in terms of that fire, the natural instincts as a corner. I love he's another – he's got that dog in him. Um, it's really just about whether he can stay healthy. And to you, as you mentioned earlier, I think the, the coaching staff realizes that if they can't play him outside, like they're going to probably take a little bit of a crack in playing him outside, but because of his size, he is twitchy and instinctive enough that he can back up Moreau in the slot. And if that does end up being the plan, then I think Stroman does make the team. Um, he played in almost 40% of the team snaps last year, just because the injury, uh, the cornerback position was ravaged by injuries. Um, I give a lot of credit actually to the team developing Stroman. Let's not forget he was a seventh round draft pick and uh, the coaches like him. They think that, you know, the ups and downs are normal for a guy of his youth and his, uh, you know, getting acclimated to the league. I think they're pretty high on him. Um, I do think to you, part of your point, Danny Johnson's the odd man out. He was the gem of last year's mm -hmm. training camp, um, finished on IR, you know, the number one, avail uh, number one ability is availability. He didn't have that. If he makes a team, it's because they keep seven corners and they keep him as a special teams guy, in my opinion. I think he is the odd man out. Maybe practice squad. I don't remember what the rules are for a guy who's played this much, if they can put him on the squad. But um, if I have to say, he's the odd man out. And then I think to that end, DRC, Dominic Rogers Cromarty, is the guy who makes it in. And I think there's a some segment, and I hope it's not a large one, but there's some sub-segment of Redskins fans who think we're still getting this two-time Pro Bowl cornerback when we get Rogers Cromarty. And, like, if we're being real, there, there's a reason the guy was released twice from a team in the last 12 months by the Giants and the Raiders, who weren't exactly the bastions of great defensive back play. And he was retired for five months before signing the Redskins. So all that bashing aside, I think the biggest value for Rogers Cromarty, who's already coming into camp banged up, is that he's been that veteran voice, that old man on the mountain who – not only the young cornerbacks have kind of been picking his brain, but he's actually even been working with the wide receivers and kind of help refine those points. And I think a little bit of what we lost with DJ Swearinger, minus all the real crazy antics, but a little bit of that veteran voice, that locker room guy, you know, they talk about this in the NBA a lot of times. You have that old head in the locker room who kind of teaches the younger guys what to do. I think Rogers Cromartie is going to provide a lot of that. And I think there's the biggest value. I don't necessarily know that on the field, he's going to provide a ton of value besides being maybe a fifth corner at, a fourth at best, but like I said, I think he's much more about the intangibles. Yeah, I, I, I hear you. You just hate JMU because they beat Tech back in what 2011. I don't hate them. I'm just so salty about it. <laughs> I, had to, I had to at least make sure people know 
Listen, why you, you brought up that they were I'll good. The hokey choke. Uh, um, yeah, I think Strowman will will get in. I I don't think um, you know the one corner I'm I'm curious about because I'm more curious about what they're going to do with him is uh, Adonis Alexander. Yeah. Um, he hasn't he hasn't played yet, but we used a, a supplemental pick on him. Um, so I, I imagine they're going to try to put him in IR and just kind of stash him um, and you know go from there. But it's kind of a shame he didn't really work out. You know, I, I was actually very excited when we when we took a flyer on him. Um, but you know, I think to, to, going back to our original point, I'm, I'm excited about the group. Um, I I really like um, the attitude of the group. I think Rogers Cromani does bring that Swearinger kind of old head mentality. Hopefully, he's not as big of a lunatic in the uh, media as Swearinger was. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, but I, I think that. You know, brings us to to your favorite talking point here because I, I I know you have a lot to say about it. Lots. Because um, I, I I actually think the worst player on the team is at this position. Yep. Uh, how how big of a problem do you think the safety position really is? Cause I think it's. Not I think Troy Apke should be punted so far off the team. Troy uh, Apke. But I'd be Eric, curious. Troy Apke is the Eric Flowers of the defense. Yeah. Well, you're like, oh god. Uh, no, but I know this is a this is a talking point for you, so I'm gonna, I'm going to turn it over to you later. Give me a thought on the safety position. So, okay. So I have been, if there's one, another soapbox I've been on with this team, they've neglected the true free safety position since Sean Taylor was alive. God rest his soul. They have not actually gone out and said, we want a center field free safety who can patrol things over the top and just erase things if our cornerbacks get beat. I don't know why this team chooses to ignore it. They have this propensity where they completely ignore a position for periods of time. They've done it with left guard. They did it for God knows how many years of the entire defensive line. Thank God they fixed that part at least, but they've continued to do this with left guard and they're continuing to do this with free seat. Why in God's name do they consistently do this? It just baffles my mind. Now, a lot of people are going to come out and say, well, we signed Landon Collins. Great. Landon Collins is a great safety. Landon Collins was signed because we wanted to get someone who was less of a knucklehead and still a leader compared to DJ Swearinger, um, especially because Swearinger had a little bit of beef, as I alluded to with Josh Norman. That's a thing that some people talked about, but not enough. Um, and then, of course, it compounds the whole Alabama thing on our defense. Landon Collins, great signing, great contract, totally underrated contract. A lot of people gagged at the five years, 80 million or 85 million, what it was. It's actually really, really well done. Eric Schaefer's a fucking genius. Uh, no hate on him. That guy's the man. But the free safety position, right? So think about Look who we're rolling out at free safety. Monte Nicholson didn't exactly have a stellar off season right now, unless you count some type of violence charges or some type of assault charges, stellar off season. So you can't trust Monte Nicholson. Big step back last year. Allegedly has kept his nose clean so far and looks great in camp. I'll believe it when I see it. DeShazer Everett, primarily a special teams guy. And then Troy fucking Apke, who if I never see him on the field again, I'm completely fine with that. He was a horrible reach when they, they took him in the fourth round when he was close to a seventh round value at that time. He's a, he's faster read Dowdy to, to using your guy again. He's, that's that's all he is. I mean, he's faster read Dowdy or maybe, you know, slightly skinnier Adam Archuleta. This guy's a bum. And this is the three guys <laughs> we're rolling out at free safety next to Landon Collins. And then we are that dog in the midst of the fire with the big guy saying everything is fine. I, I just don't get it. It, it, yeah, I knew this. Would, I knew this would fire up. That's why I brought it up. <laughs> and then on top of that, like, if you wa- the, for those who watched the preseason game, and God help you if you did, uh, like us, 
but if you saw him, I granted it was the first drive. Granted, a lot of it was you know vanilla offenses and defenses or whatever. And granted, it's just you know it's, it's a, just the preseason, quote unquote. But man, Baker Mayfield walked through our defense like a knife through hot butter. And I got to tell you, it wasn't like they were necessarily running it down our throat. He was all over the intermediate part of the field. Which hey, guess what? A lot of the safeties have ha- responsibilities on that part of the field. I mean, it looked like we were playing 11 on seven where we had seven guys and they had 11. It was a joke. And like, I, I just, I can't believe this. I, I, I've always been a guy who tends to favor safeties ever since we had Sean Taylor, Earl Thomas, you know, even though I hate the Seattle, you know, bandwagoners, Earl Thomas has always been one of my favorite players in the NFL. Same with Tyron Matthew, love those types of players. And it just want to rip my hair out every year when we neglect getting someone like that. And again, I think Collins is fine in spot duty, but we have this bad habit of trying to take strong safeties and make them free safeties. Like Swearinger got burned all the time doing this. And I have a feeling that Collins, they're going to try to roll him as a center field guy and he's going to do his best because he's a, te- he's a soldier, so to speak, but he's going to get burned because that's not his game. He is a closer to the line of scrimmage, blow shit up type of guy. I'm not pigeonholing him as this, but that's what he is. And then for the group of people who think that DRC or Adonis Alexander is going to be there, again, Adonis Alexander, Virginia Tech guy. Adonis Alexander runs like he's got cement issues. I'll just tell you right now, right? Like, he's not going to make the team. I, I'm, I don't think so. He's looked awful in training camp so far. I think they're going to stash him. Yeah, if I think they're going to stash him on IR. They think this is a guy who's going to be able to read, react, and close. I mean, get the hell out of here. No way. At DRC, again, he's, he's an injury-banged-up guy, or injured-banged-up guy, and I just I don't see that being the case where you're going to transition him to a free safety, which, in my opinion, has to be one of the most athletic positions on, on the field. It just it kills me every single year. Like, for the love of God, my kingdom for a free safety, right? And you see all these teams draft really smart guys in the second or third round, and then we end up with, you know, fucking Ryan Alexander. I love Ryan uh, Ryan Anderson, excuse me. And, like, you know, Ryan Anderson is good for what he is, but, man, why do we pass up these good players? And it kills me. (sighs) Yeah, you know, yeah, that that was a deep sigh for you. um, I think the team is banking on a ton on Monte Nicholson. Um, You know, if he plays like he did two years ago – I think we have, you know, a decent starting pair of safeties. The problem becomes if Collins gets hurt or Nicholson gets hurt, we're screwed. Um, you know, Everett has always been a good backup. He's a great special teams guy. Yep. And he he's kind of become – I'm going to keep going back to Reed Daddy. Um, he's kind of become the Reed Daddy where all of a sudden he obviously starts like four or five games even though he shouldn't be starting. Um, he's kind of always in that mix. And then, then Apke, like – I'm not going to get as fired up as as you did there, but, like, I mean, he sucks. Uh, there's just no way other to describe that he's just bad. Um, and to your point, we took him in the fourth round. Like, everyone had them as, as a bubble seventh round, you know, going to be a rookie free agent type signing. Uh, and we took him in the fourth, um, which is, you know, we can just leave it, but um, it, it's painful. Um I am excited about the, the duo of Nicholson and Collins. Uh, you know, I, it, this whole season is predicated on if we stay healthy. Uh, you know, I think we're going to end up like 6-10 and 10 anyway. Um, but if those two can stay healthy, I think one thing that's that's interesting to me is is Collins is going to play near the line. Everything I've read is the team's been pretty surprised at how well he can play pretty much everywhere. But, you know, to your point, his, his strengths will come, you know, in the box, right? That's where he's going to want to be. Uh, Monte thrived when he was in that free agent 
or free excuse me free safety position last time uh, two years ago because he had the room to move sideline to sideline. I think back to the game we had against the Raiders where um, Carr tried to throw the ball deep and you saw the speed that Nicholson had. You know he's a freak. Um, so I think I think he'll be more comfortable in the back roaming. Now having said that, obviously last year didn't work out. We we went out and got uh, Ha Ha Clinton Dix. I'm, I swear we just traded for him because he's a Bama guy. Um, that didn't work out so well. Um, and Nicholson got benched, and then he had his legal troubles. But, you know, if he can, to your, to your point, kind of keep his, his nose squeaky clean, I'm actually pretty excited about him. And um, Craig Hoffman had a great, great tweet the other day that, um, that Nicholson's really brought the attitude to practice. Apparently he's been popping people left and right. Um, now, granted, apparently Geis got him back, uh, which is, is great to hear. But um, I'm excited about it because I think these are two, like, very physically gifted safeties. And in the NFL, that's what you need. Um, but if one of them tweaks the hamstring, um, then just load up the shotgun and, and every team's going to throw deep on us because we're screwed. Um, but it's funny. Not- it's Monte Nicholson. It, it, when he came out, a lot of uh, the draft reports on him or the scouting reports on him, I should say, were that, you know, body beautiful, looks perfect, Adonis type of guy, not the player, but like, you know, the, the archetype. But, you know, he had the looks like Tarzan, plays like Jane mentality. And very much to your point, like in 2017, he did not play like that. Like he looked great. He was excellent in 2017. And I'm not even just talking about the Raiders game, which admittedly he was awesome in that game. But in the streaks of time you saw before he went down with the season injury, season ending injury, yeah, he was really, really good. I didn't have the same level of concern last year when you were talking about a duo again of Nicholson and, and, and DJ Swearinger. Um, but that big step back for whatever reason it might've been last year, obviously have, has to set off red flags in terms of you're, now you have a 50, 50 shot. Are you going to get 2017 Monte Nicholson? Or are you going to get 2018 Monte Nicholson? If we're getting 2017 Nicholson and just normal version of what you can expect of Landon Collins, this is, I'm much more comfortable again with the major caveat, as you mentioned, of if they can stay healthy, which given the stellar nature of our training staff and the guys who are holding out a result of that is probably a large if, but that notwithstanding, yeah. it's the guys behind them. Yeah, can, I, can we just fire that? Can we just fire the uh, athletic training staff? Like, if Trent, if you want Trent to come back, that's your problem. That solves, solves it right there. Just fire him. Fire all of them. How do you have new... the, the most offensive line injuries? Like, literally having 13 offensive line injured every year and not say, you should probably look at our medical staff. No, and the the shittiest part about it is look at um, you know look at Geis's knee. He's had to have like multiple surgeries. Look at Smith. He's had to have multiple surgeries. Like who? What are we doing? Like what doctors do we have? Um, it's the same thing over and over. Colt, you know, broke his leg and had to have what three surgeries instead of one. Like I I I, I don't get it. Like if I was Trent Williams, I would hold out too. I know this is going way off topic, but like, dude, I don't know who runs that, but it's got to be the most B-league team athletic trainers of all time. We like, must have, like, the most evolutionarily great staff infections ever known to the history of mankind living inside of our locker room. Because, yeah, it's like Alex Smith, Darius Geis, anybody with a knee injury, you might as well just take raw chicken and rub it against the open wound because it's going to get infected knowing our training staff on this team. It's, it's incredible. And, like, after all of this, we're still, like, Nope, everything's just fine. Everything's just fine. Like, are you kidding me? Yeah, no, I, uh, <clears throat> you know, I, I know all that 
players like Sue are now chiming in on, on Twitter and, you know, you have Doxon liking his tweets and all, you know, it's, it's not a good look from, from and pretty much every angle. Um, but it's, it's astounding that we still have these problems. Like I just like, I just, oh, I hate the organization. I love the team. I just hate the organization. Um, sorry to go off topic there. You, you started talking about injuries and I got fed up with the athletic trainer just looking at an article. Um, I, and, and taking it one step um, further from what you said, like the fact that like Redskins fans are like trashing Sue Cravens, Josh Dodson, Trent Williams, and on Twitter and stuff like that. Now, granted, Twitter brings out the absolute worst in pretty much everybody. But like the fact that we're like saying like, no, you guys are just salty. I'm like, look, man, if it was one person, if it was just Sue Cravens, fine, you can say he's you know, a little bit of loopies, a little bit out there. Okay, we'll do that. I mean, when you start seeing this as a trend and you're still defending this corrupt ass organization, like you got to realign your priorities in life like exactly what you said i love this team i will love this team till the day i die but if you don't i will fully acknowledge this by run by some of the worst human beings on god's green earth like let's just be real here yeah no there i mean bruce sounds satan as far as i'm concerned um and dan i you know I, someone asked me the other day um do you hate dan or bruce more and i think i've learned because he's a little more face public facing i hate bruce more than dan I do. Uh, I mostly because I, I, yeah, mostly I think it's because like Dan's not going anywhere, no matter what. Yep. Um, and <laughs> I say that and Bruce may never go anywhere for all I know, but like that guy, I mean, oh. <laughs> um, all right, well, we can talk about that in part two because I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll talk for an hour about how much I hate, singular hate Bruce Allen. He's not uh, a good human and he's not a good NFL person. I think that about covers it. So it's like, what's left, right? You're not good at your job and you're not good as a human being. But other than that, everything's great. Yeah. <sighs> Fuck that guy. Um, right. Yeah. So let's, let's bring this home with the, with the shining I was gonna say, more gold medal subject. of the team. Yeah. 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 Let's with the, just how good do you think this defensive line can be is basically uh, where we are now. So last unit, obviously on the defensive end, you have two young you got the Alabama wall, the two young studs. Um, you have Settle. You have uh, Brantley. Uh, you have uh, my favorite, the, the was it, what's his nickname now? The Golden Greek and, and Ionitis. I haven't um, heard that one. I mean, that's, this team. That's good. Oh, I, I, yeah, I can't claim it. I heard it somewhere. Uh, but this line, this group, it's funny. Like three years ago, our defense line sucked. It's terrible. And now First it's maybe arguably, maybe it's arguably the best in the league. Um how far do you think this, this group can carry us? Because it goes back to the linebackers. These, these linemen are going to be the ones setting the tone. So how far do you think they can carry us? Because I'm, like, amped about this group. I'm glad they finally invested some resources in there because it's like if you really want to see what that does, just look, what, 200 miles northeast of us? Well, northeast of me now, anyway. Um, and look at what Philadelphia is doing. Yeah. It's pretty amazing how you I'm not trying to go to lines. Vancouver. Yeah, right. Um, and, and all of a sudden, the investment in a bunch of the offensive line helps having Carson Wentz, who's I'm terrified of. Um, but – Investing a bunch in those two lines, and all of a sudden you're going to have a good football team. Helps that they're also really smart at everything else. Um, side note, I hate Philadelphia with the Eagles with all my heart and soul, and they're probably going to be my NFC pick this year as a teaser for any type of season preview. Um, answering your question, yeah, I, Allen and Payne were excellent for the first half of the year. I think our run defense in terms of DVOA was in the top five, if not higher, frankly speaking. Um, Ionitis, my favorite is King Ionitis, like King Leonidas, but King Ionitis is amazing. He's the glue guy. 
you know, it's lots of times, again, you, you, you're a little bit of an NBA fan. Like, you know, you have, you have the stars, but you have the glue guy who kind of brings everyone together. And they're like, that's really the indispensable guy who brings everything, like I said, full circle. And I think Matt Ioannidis, on top of being a beast in general, is very much that glue guy type. Um, I love the fact that they were in the top eight in the NFL last year. Of, um, so th- as a whole, the unit is, as everyone in 40, with 46 sacks. But 20.5 of those, almost half, came from just Alan Payne and Ioannidis, which is fantastic. I mean, you're generating that type of pressure from your defensive line. It makes the job of guys like Ryan Kerrigan, of uh, Montez Sweat, of Ryan Anderson, whatever you get from him, of a Castanella McKenzie, who's another deep sleeper on the team. Um, I think he's very intriguing. It makes their job easier because we're not depending on them as much for the the the, uh, the sacks or the pressures of, you know from the edges, especially when you can generate. Because a lot of the NFL's people will say this, you know, the the most uh, the most effective type of pressure to generate is the one that comes up the middle, which clearly our guys are able to do so because of um, where they're lining up. I think if we're going to be shine a uh, um, look for negatives on this, it's Again, although you alluded to this a little bit, what happens if we lose any of them for a prolonged period of time? And I think one of the big things that, you know, I'll never question Jim Tom Sula because that man is fucking crazy in a great way. Um, but he's really going to have to earn a lot of his paycheck developing a guys like a Tim Settle or a Caleb Brantley or a JoJo Wicker or any of the other guys that they've got, whoever's going to be the sixth man, so to speak, among the defensive line group. Yeah, so I disagree uh, a little bit here. Um I think that the, the the line is actually fairly deep. Um, you know, Settle last year was um, – I forget. We dropped him, I think, in the fifth round. Yep. Um, and everyone kind of had him slated in the second or third round. Um, and then same thing with Caleb Brantley. I believe he was drafted in, like, the sixth or seventh round, but all because of character issues. Like, talent-wise, it's all there. 100%. Um, coming from Florida, I believe. Yep. Um, so the the talent on this, like – five deep is intense. It's everyone can play in the NFL in that group. Um, we're not talking, there's no Troy Apkes on the, on the defensive line. And from what I, what I've read, from what I saw last year, like settle was getting rotation um, snaps last year. Um, so I think he'll get more this year because something we haven't talked about yet in this small segue in the defensive line, like the, the trio of Alan Payne and, and I and I was just played too much last year. We need more fresh bodies. Um, and I think Settle is actually going to chunk, you know, chew into that a little bit, which is good. Now, the only thing that worries me is, is uh, as a big Ryan Zimmerman fan, uh, the Caleb Brentley Liz Frank uh, injury is a problem. Um, if you can't, I mean, that thing just never goes away. Um, so that's a problem. He hasn't practiced in two or three weeks. Gruden says his foot's continue to be sore. So I'm worried about that for sure. One um, of the most mysterious injuries out there, man. That Liz Frank, I've got to tell you. It really is. It, it, it hurts like hell, I guess. Yeah. Um, but it, you know, it's, it's the way it goes. Um, but like the thing I find most interesting, this is kind of not really what I thought we were going to go with. This is, is Ioannidis to me is a fascinating player. He, he is part of McLuhan's, I think original draft class or second, first or second. Um, but he should get zero credit for this. This is, one of the things that people always talk about in the NFL is how great of an evaluator Jay Gruden is. Jay, Jay Gruden literally was like, we are drafting this guy, no ifs, ands, and buts about it. And he was like this no-name uh, defensive lineman from Indiana who hasn't produced an NFL player maybe ever. Indiana and Temple? I think it was Temple. Temple, Indiana, regardless. Not a good school <laughs> Same thing. Um, 
And all of a sudden he's turned out to be not only a glue guy. I mean, he's, he's not quite as good as Allen, but he's as good as Payne. And Payne was drafted, uh, when was Payne drafted? 15th? 17. No, that no, was no, also because of, of a 17. fake. No, no, I think it was 13, 14. I think you're right. And that was also because of a fake. Yeah, Allen, Allen's the one that fell to 17, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Um, right. but, yes. but, like, those, those three guys are so good. Um, and they control the line of scrimmage. Um, I know you were kind of hating on Ryan Anderson earlier, but allows players like him to set the edge. Um, but one thing that is a curse with this group is they're so good that Minuski relies on them too much. Too much. Um, and what I mean by that is, like, I bet you – I don't know the stats. I don't, I don't have anything in front of me. I'm, I'm, it's a little bit speculative. But my guess is from a, just a pure five-man rusher more um, defense that we probably brought more than four rushers less than anybody in the league. Um, Minuski never wanted to blitz because he, he thought Kerrigan would get home with those three guys. Um, the team needs to mix that up. We need to show more blitz. We need to come bring them blitz more often. I think that actually makes the defensive line a little better. And you think, I think you take those 46 sacks and you elevate that to 50, 54, right? And that's a game changer. That's a big difference. Sure. Um, not only that, when you're bringing that kind of heat and let's say it's Collins coming through there, those guys are going for the ball. Right. And it creates more turnovers. It creates more, um, you know, it's a more aggressive style defense. It's something I think we need to do more of and not just rely on them. Because to your point, if someone does get hurt, then you have to start, you know, becoming a little more creative. I think if we come out of the gate creative, the whole team will latch onto it. And that attitude that Norman brings the back in. And then Allen should be the captain of the team, by the way. Um, all of that comes out. And I think the defense, I think the defense not only is, is very good, but I think they could be borderline great. One of the biggest plagues in the NFL, rounding out that John Allen draft topic, is that 11-hour, 59th-minute news that comes out about a, a draft prospect that starts getting made up, and all of a sudden you have John Allen, who's going to be a top-three lock, I mean lock, four at worst, dropping all the way down to 17. And the reason why I bring this up is because John Allen did that in 2017. Yeah, 17, yeah. And in yep. 2018, it happened to Derwin fucking James. And this is one I'll never, ever, ever, ever get over. That Derwin James, everyone knew was a beast. Everyone knew he was a monster. He was a freak show athlete at Florida State. Everyone knew that this guy is a locker room game changer, everything. And some bullshit fake news story came out about him at the 11th hour. And he drops like 18 or 19 past us taking to Ron Payne. Um, and he gets to the Chargers. And now he's one of the top five safeties in the NFL. And it absolutely kills me. I think it's one of the worst things that we that happens on draft day as much as I love the draft. That's a complete tangent, but you mentioned that with John Allen and that popped into my head. Um, Ionitis from Temple. And it's funny because when you go back and look at the scouting reports, that was another one. They were like, oh, that was a big reach. And like, who is this guy? And no one knows anything about him. And absolutely. Like Jay Gruden pounded the table. Like my guy, this is the guy. And he could not have been any more right about it. So uh, big credit to him. He's been fantastic. I mean, he's, he's a wrecking ball and we're not even just saying that from a Kool-Aid perspective as Redskins fans. Like, he's legitimately been a really, really, really good player, um, especially from the advanced analytics standpoint. He's not going to get the recognition from the NFL because he doesn't have the brand name of a day one, day two pick. But, yes, he's been absolutely outstanding and love watching him play. Great addition. And, again, it's ironic that, you know, yeah, we took Allen and Payne. They're the first-round guys that played together at Alabama. But, it's like, again, Hyannitis kind of brings everything together into this beast of a defensive line group as a whole. And um, Tim Settle, Virginia Tech notwithstanding, like – I think 
so it was interesting with him because there's kind of a dichotomy in terms of their evaluations. A lot of the evaluations are exactly what you just said. Day two talent stole him in the fifth round, but there was a healthy swath of people who said like, I don't know, you know, can he keep his weight down? Can he stay motivated or whatever? But I mean, I'm not worried about motivating a guy like him with Tom Sula as our coach. Like Tom Sula will motivate anybody, you know, to do anything really. So I'm less, uh, I'm, I'm less worried about that. And I also love the fact that Tim Settle was our, kind of our insurance plan to replace Stacy McGee. And I don't think we talk enough about what a god-awful signing Stacy McGee was. I mean, we might as well have taken $8 million, whatever it was, and thrown it in the trash because that's what we got with Stacy McGee. Yeah, but he's no longer on the team anymore, so whatever. Um, he did He did suck. I think he's back with the Ravens, actually. Uh, uh, but yeah, good riddance to that bad investment. Don't know, don't care, um, frankly speaking. Caleb Brantley, yes, rounding out the point. Um, it was funny because he was, um, he was a Sashi Brown drafting. Sashi Brown coming home to D.C., by the way. But he was a Sashi Brown guy. Um, he Exactly what you said, fell to some of the off-the-field stuff. And then, you know, John Dorsey came in and tried to clean up all the mess that, you know, the previous regime left. And I think Brantley got the boot as a result of that. Also, he was injured for part of last year, which, as you alluded to, the list rank kind of isn't necessarily over that. But, yeah, there's raw talent there that could be developed. So a lot of reason for optimism, even outside the big three guys. Um, you know, again, if things break right, this has the potential to be a really, really good group. And, again, the cornerstone of the rest of the defense that can make, hopefully, the rest of the defense a lot better. If you ever want to watch, like, something really awesome, just watch Ioannidis one-on-one with an offensive tackle. He's so strong that he can literally pick these guys up um, and move them with one arm. Like, I remember his sack last year uh, against uh, Green Bay, early on in the year, game we won. Um, and he literally bull rushes the tackle with one arm and then grabs Rodgers with his right arm and just throws him to the ground. It's like an amazing feat of a human being. <laughs> Um, the old show from like the early nineties, American gladiators. I feel like I and I should be on that show. Uh, even though he's, you know, a little, a little chubber than the average American gladiator. The guy's just a, you know, tier. He's a, he's a, he's a Greek God in my opinion. The See, golden, the golden th- Greek. When I think of Ionitis, I just think of Gerard Butler as Leonidas. Like that's just what pops into my head. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not fucking with that guy. That guy's awesome. No, he's awesome. Um, but to, to bring it full circle, I do think that, um, I do think they'll anchor the team. I think that's pretty obvious. I don't think you need to, you know, do much research on the Redskins to, to know that. Um, but what's exciting is they do have a little bit of depth. And with, um, to our original point, a weakish linebacker group, I think the worst on the team. Um, you know, controlling the line of scrimmage is going to be important. And um, if our linebackers are half decent and can get sideline to sideline, um, then I think, you know, that, that rush defense, again, will be very strong and, and the coverage will be good. And I think the sacks will even go up, which is tough to do because 46 sacks is a lot. Um, so I'm excited. I'm excited for the defense. Uh, the offense is a different story. Uh, we'll get to that in part two. But uh, I'm very excited for what this defense can do. Nice segue. So I agree. Um, I Probably not quite as many areas of optimism on the offense, but we'll touch on that. Um, but thank you again, Patrick, for your time. Let's, we're going to do part two very, very shortly. Um, but for everyone who's gotten this far, thank you again for listening. If you haven't done so already, we're going to have a ton of content coming out now that I've brushed off the podcast and we're doing a whole bunch of stuff coming up. Uh, make sure you like us on SoundCloud or follow us and like us on iTunes and all the fun, usual stuff. Um, until then, make sure you keep an eye out for part two where we'll cover the offense. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you soon.
Thank you for listening to the Hail to the District podcast. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts.